whoa, what happened to you? I mean, has anybody said that to you recently? Like, whoa, what happened to you? What, what comes to mind, kids, when somebody says, what happened to you? Right? You start like looking around like, oh, what did I know? What, what did happen to me? Right? I, or maybe you have a black eye or maybe there's, you know, something on you that you don't know about or whatever's happened. When was the last time what happened to you was said? I want you at the beginning of our message to think through your last day, week, year, two years, five years, whatever it is. What has happened to you? This morning... We're going to look as we continue on in the book of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want to look at three different stories. I want to focus on three different stories. But I want you to be thinking about what has happened to you lately. What has been your life circumstances? Because I want to look quickly or quickly as we can at the life of, at a story about Paul, a story about a girl named Leah, and I want to focus on the end at your story. Kids, your story, your parents' story, I want you to think, what has happened to me lately? What have my life circumstances been like? So three different stories. The first one, we'll start Philippians 1, verse 12. Paul's writing to the, the church in Philippi, as we learned last week, as Mike introduced the series. And here in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Again, we ask the question, what happened to us? Paul said, here, I want you to know what has happened to him, his imprisonment. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So again... I don't know what's happened to you lately, but Paul references what's happened to him. Here he is in prison. What's the story? Try to tell it as quickly as we can. Back in, we can read about it in Acts 21 through the end of the chapter, or the end of the book this week. But Paul has come back from his travels abroad, starting churches and planning and bringing offering back to give to the temple. And he's there finally back in Jerusalem, and we find out he's there at the temple to worship God. He's not there trying to stir up any trouble. He's not even there really preaching or speaking or anything. He came back simply to worship at the temple and to bring an offering. But then some Jews from Asia see him, run up to him, and start to accuse him of all of these things. Hey, he, this is the man. This is the one that's been causing us trouble. This is the one. And look, and he even brought, and they make these false accusations against him. He even brought a Greek and defiled our temple, which they saw him earlier. It tells us, if you read the chapter, they saw him earlier with this man named Trophimus, and they assumed that he had, Paul was still with him, and that he had brought him into the temple. And they just wanted to have a reason to get back at Paul because he was out there now in their mind preaching against the Jewish people. That wasn't at all. And so they made all these accusations against him, and everybody else starts to listen in and say what in this riot starts and people are angry and they grab a hold of Paul and they drag him out of the temple because they don't want to defile the temple and they start to beat him to death and ask again what happened to you this week so Paul keeps saying he the story keeps going because there's a Roman garrison a Roman cohort there about 600 men to the north of the temple they're there in Jerusalem and their job is to keep the peace 
The Rome is the one occupying Jerusalem, and the only real rule or law they have about is you can't start riots because riots always lead to bloody warfare and turn. So this, this Roman garrison is there. They rush in. They hear the noise to find out what is going on. They come, and there's Paul with the crowd trying to beat him to death because of these false accusations, because they don't like him anymore, because they've claimed that he is anti-Jewish and he's preaching against us. Let's beat him up. So they finally, the Roman cohort, they rush in, they grab a hold of Paul, and they start to drag him out, and the people are still trying to get a hold of him. So they have to carry him physically up the steps and the leader of the cohort says, what in the world is going on here? And everybody around is yelling. And the, look at this man. Look what he's done. He's defiled us. He's done all. They start lobbying these accusations against him. And as they're about to carry him off, Paul says, ask the leader, hey, can I, have, can I say something here? And the man steps back and he says, sure. He gives him the opportunity. And so before as Paul is there in that moment being falsely accused, he says something, and you or I, if I were in that spot right there, what would we say? What I would say is anything I could say to get out of trouble to save my skin, right? Like, what's going on here? I just came to do nothing, and I'd want to say, I'm innocent, you know, and defend myself. And, here, and so Paul speaks up, and he says, you know, you claim that I'm here, uh, that I'm here, that I don't care about the temple. Let me tell you about my background. I grew up. As a Pharisee, I know more than you know. I sat under Gamaliel. I've loved the temple. But then he goes on to tell them about one day when his, his world was rocked because he met Jesus Christ. And at the end of, of his story to the Jews, which again, you know, you would be thinking, Paul, aren't you trying to get yourself out of trouble? They're trying to beat you to death. Just be quiet or just say something, whatever you can. But Paul took the opportunity to share his story about meeting Jesus. And at the end of it, the people are like, oh, we didn't realize. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we thought you had done all these bad things. No, is that what they do? It never happens that way, right? They, they, the story is, it made them even matter. They started throwing dirt in the air, saying, away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. I think that's like a, a rough translation from what they were really saying, because we don't say away with such a fellow, right? That's just the, the biblical version. I'm sure there was some more language involved. And what, they were mad. They were angry. They were throwing dirt in the air, trying to get a hold of him. So the leader takes Paul, they takes him inside their barracks there, and he asks him, what in the world have you done to, to make the people so angry with you? And, you know, and Paul, and, and so here's what he does. The, the Roman leader says, okay, we're going to figure it out. We'll beat it out of you. You must have done something terrible. So he starts to have a, a Roman centurion there, stretch him out, get him ready. We'll, we'll investigate you through flogging. Right? So kids, hopefully your parents don't do that. We don't do that these days, right? Investigate people through flogging. That's a terrible thing to do, but that's what they were going to do to Paul. They're going to say, I don't know what you did. And so Paul, they have them all stretched out, ready to flog him. And then Paul just casually mentions to the centurion, hey, do you normally treat Roman citizens like this who have been uncondemned? And if you know anything about the story, this, that would have been scandalous. They just assumed because this was a troublemaker, because the, the, uh, the Roman leader thought this was maybe this, an Egyptian that not long ago had led 4,000 men out. So maybe that's who this guy was. That's why they were so angry at him. They just assumed that he was some non, you know, he wasn't a citizen. Because if he wasn't a citizen, they could do whatever they want with him. And there was nobody there for justice. But if, if he had been a Roman citizen, which he was, and if they knew it, they could have never touched him in this way without some, uh, some legal standing. And, and so Paul mentioned, do you normally treat 
a Roman citizen this way. And so then they realized this and everybody threw on the brakes. Oh man, we could have just gotten big trouble. That would have been a big scandal if we had found out. So the next day, the leader of the Roman uh, cohort, he, he calls the Jewish council together and he says, what do you have against this man? And they make their arguments against him. And again, it's all of these false accusations, things they can't prove. And so he's trying to figure out, what do I do with this? And actually that next day, there were 40 different, there were 40 men, over 40 men that were Jews that said, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. What happened to you this past week? So the story keeps going. All right, the story goes on from there. Um, the Roman Tribune's like, I don't know, this guy's not guilty. I don't know what to do. So he, he composes a letter and he sends him on to Felix in Caesarea. Make sure I got the right, yep, Felix, the governor of the area in, in Caesarea. And he sends a letter with him. He says, hey, here's this man, Paul. He hasn't done anything wrong. I, I've listened to the accusations and they're all unfounded. It has something to do with their religion and their laws, but he hasn't broken any laws. He's not deserving of death. He's not deserving in prison, but I can't do anything with him because it's just causing riots here. So I'll just send him on to you. So I'm sure Felix was like, oh, thank you very much. So then a few days later, Ananias and the other Jewish people, they come to make their accusations again against Paul because they can't stand him. And they make their accusations and at the end of it, Paul, again, has an opportunity to answer for himself. And every single time, rather than trying, I mean, he's, he, makes, he says, makes the point, hey, I've done nothing wrong, and they can prove nothing. But over and over again, his, they, they, they yell at him. And so the, the governor doesn't know what to do, so he puts him in prison and says, okay, maybe when the Roman leader comes, uh, the, the cohort, maybe he'll be an unbiased witness. He'll be able to tell me, why in the world is Paul in such trouble? I don't know. It looks like he hasn't done anything. Again, this has happened before. If you read the story of the Bible, we know this happened to Jesus. We know it happens again and again. But here it is playing out again. The people are angry. They want justice, and yet they've done nothing wrong, so they invent all of these accusations. And here's Paul in the middle of it. And, and so he's, he's in this story. The story goes on. You know, um, Felix is there. Actually, eventually, Paul is in prison for two years because Felix doesn't know what to do with him. He'll bring Paul out and ask him questions. The story actually tells us Felix is hoping to get bribed from Paul because he knows that Paul's done nothing wrong and he has supporters. Maybe they can bribe him, give him some money. But Paul never does that. He just continually, every time he tells him about how he met Jesus, he tells him over and over. And so Felix doesn't know what to do. Paul's in prison. Finally, the time comes, Felix moves on to another post and the new governor comes in, Governor Festus. And here he's inherited this problem Paul sitting in prison. So again, he calls Paul out. The, the Jewish leaders come. They tell their story. They make their accusations. And it's clear to everybody, he's done nothing wrong. But what do we do about him? Well, Festus also, when he came in to start his new post, he had gone to Jerusalem first. And the Roman, or excuse me, the, the council there had asked him, hey, can you send Paul back to Jerusalem to be put on trial? Do you know why they said that? Because remember those 40 hungry men? Right, they, were, they were still, they had made a, uh, they say, we won't let, we won't eat or drink until Paul is dead. And that's been two years. So they're really hungry. So they really wanted them to send Paul back to Jerusalem because they wanted to ambush him. That was their original plan. And they're still waiting on doing that plan. So, so Paul is there before Festus. He get what he, again and again, he gets the opportunity to share his story about he met, how he met Jesus. And finally, we get down to the end of it. 
You know, so they say, okay, he says, I would love to share. You can check these facts. Twelve days ago, I, oh, this was the, that was the wrong one. I got to the wrong one. Let me find the right one here. All right. So Festus asked, do you want to go back to stand trial in Jerusalem? Paul said, there's no reason for me to go back there. As a Roman citizen, this is where I deserve to be tried, not there. You know I have done nothing wrong to the Jews. If I have done something wrong and deserve death, I won't try to escape my judgment. But if there is nothing to their charge, no one can give me up to them. And then he says, I appeal to Caesar. And in that moment, the prisoner who was uncondemned and had no groundings, he should have been freed long ago. He should have been let go. And now when he says, I appeal to Caesar, there was a process that happened where as a Roman citizen, he had that right and that privilege. But that meant that he was going to go endure an incredibly hard journey. And years continued as a prisoner, even though he was uncondemned or had no valid claim against him, he was going to be sent to Caesar. And you fast forward through that story that you can read about at the end of Acts He takes a long and dangerous boat journey as a prisoner, suffers a terrible storm, a a shipwreck, a snake bite. And over and over again, Paul took the opportunity to share his story with leaders both high and low, with kings, queens, centurions, fellow prisoners. And by the time he arrives in Rome, he, along with this incredible story, comes with them. And as we just found out in what we read in Philippians Paul says, the whole imperial guard knows that I am in chains for Christ. And again, I ask, what happened to you this week? No doubt word of his imprisonment and all of these crazy things had gotten back to the church in Philippi and Paul had, that Paul had started long ago. And he wanted them to know what had happened. But he wanted them to know that despite looking and horrible and terrible on the outside, these life circumstances, they had served an incredible purpose. For Paul, this was the purpose that he had given his life to many years before when he was first had his confrontation with Jesus Christ. This whole journey, false imprisonment, unfair treatment, everything served what? To advance the gospel. And imagine this, the imperial guard. Let's talk about them for just a moment. Because if you're a leader or if you're you know, a dictator or whatever, how do you maintain your power? Usually you have to do it. There's a lot of different ways. We have all the different movies and history and storybooks to tell us. There's a lot of different ways. But usually you, it ends up you need some sort of either really just courageous leadership style that everybody is constantly in love with and, and doesn't wait to, you know, but usually we see throughout history, usually that goes away over time and somebody else comes in. So normally to maintain that power, you need some sort of force. Some sort of somebody to protect you, to protect your rule. Unless you have, you know, some sort of superpower like the ability to throw lightning down at people. That, that's one way that you can maintain power. But for the Roman emperors, they maintained their protection and their power through the Praetorian Guard, the Imperial, the imperial Guard. These were the elite soldiers of the day. Not only elite in their physical abilities and their battle-heartedness and all that, but in their trustworthiness. They wanted to know, I mean, imagine if you were a leader, who would you want to hire to protect you? You'd want the best of the best, right? You would, you would look through all the resumes. You would find the best people possible that had the strength, that had the ability, had the trustworthiness, everything. That's who the Imperial Guard was. And so, but we know throughout history... Even this imperial guard, for them, loyalty, 
Allegiance was something, you know, pumped into them day in, day out because the emperor needed them to stay loyal to him. Their one oath was to protect the emperor. So they knew something about allegiance. And yet, if you read history, you find out that over the years, this same group of people sworn to protect the emperor were often, you know, led by a few officers led away from their task when another emperor came along or somebody else. And they actually were involved in several different assassinations of the one that they were supposed to protect. But allegiance was a high value and a high honor in their world. And so they heard about and saw Paul. And as Paul said, they knew that I was in chains for Christ. All of them know. Do you ever wonder if Paul wanted to give up? I mean, again, I keep saying that question, well, what happened to you this week? You know, and, uh, but imagine Paul in that moment. Do you ever think that he, he ever thought, okay, enough is enough already. I didn't realize I signed up for this. I mean, what was his payment? I mean, the, the Imperial Guard, they were paid one and a half times the amount of a normal soldier. What was the payment that Paul received? Often it was nothing. I mean, we find out that he was a tent maker a lot of the time. He sometimes received gifts from the churches he had started. But often he was hungry and in prison. And I have to wonder if any of these elite soldiers ever came to Paul and said, Paul, why are you doing this? We all know that you're innocent and you should be free. What did this Jesus guy ever do for you to make you so willing to endure all of this for him? And can you imagine in that moment as Paul's eyes light up? He says, I'd love to tell you. To share the good news of what Jesus did for me, the gospel the good news. As we found out, Mike said last week, that gospel, this, this good news, it was often almost a political thing, like the gospel of Jesus Christ, this kingdom, the kingdom of God is now being made known here, or, or the gospel of another leader is coming to say, hey, good news, there's a new leader in town. The gospel, it was good news. I want you to think about this question. What gospel does your life proclaim to the world? What gospel does your life circumstances Proclaim to the world. What allegiances, loyalties does your life demonstrate and show? You see, if we aren't careful, it's easy to get caught up grumbling about what life throws at us, throws at us, complaining about what's happened. I can't believe this happened to me and that happened to me. I mean, do you know what this person did to me? They cut me off. I sat in my car for 20 minutes on Highway 20 waiting to get through all of that traffic and they flew right in and cut me off. Can you imagine, you know, being a huff and a puff and just sitting there in the jail cell telling Paul all about it? Can you imagine what they did to me, Paul? Paul could have said, I was falsely charged, set in prison for two years, shipwrecked, snake bite, a prisoner. And it's awesome because the gospel of Jesus Christ is moving forward and people are seeing it in action. Even the elite soldiers who themselves struggle with staying loyal to their emperor, even though they are paid well and privileged in high position, are hearing about and asking questions about Jesus Christ. Isn't this awesome? And not only that, most of the brothers 
are now much more bold to speak the word of God without fear because of what has happened to me. Paul, look at what you had to go through. I know. Look at how God is using it. What does the gospel of your life proclaim? Or what gospel does your life proclaim? What good news does your life announce to the world? What allegiances? Who is watching you in the way you are currently responding to life circumstances you are now experiencing? And what are they learning about you? Paul said, I'm so excited because the believers are now more bold. They are seeing me live out their greatest fear and realizing that what I wrote to them in Romans 8, 28 is true. That God really can work all things out for the good of those who love him. And now they are more bold to share it. That may not fit when we quote that verse and put it on our walls and then look at Paul's circumstances, it may not fit very well into our ideas of how life should go. But Paul proclaims it. Look at what God has done through what has happened to me. And then Paul frees us from a major trap in our lives, many of our lives. In the rest of the verse, verses 15 through 18, he frees us from the trap of examining the motives of people around us. Again, he frees us from the trap of examining the motives of people around us. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here, referring to being in prison, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? You know, what does it matter to me, is what he's saying. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Imagine living your life that way. Imagine living out that gospel. I mean, talk about having bad life experiences. At first, Paul had already experienced having his classmates, the, his, his friends when he grew up with, those people turning on him, hating him, wanting to put him to death. And now he has experienced jealousy and envy from those who are supposed to to be his brothers in Christ. Something like that would be debilitating to me, but Paul is pointing to the gospel and showing how it transforms every area of our life. Have you ever heard, overheard someone say something negative about you? You know, maybe you were going along well and then you saw something written down, you overheard something, or maybe you just interpreted a look or you saw the way that somebody is just, maybe they're not even trying to disguise it. The way that they're always around you and you know, wow, envy, jealousy. Or maybe it's the other way around, you see them. It's a terrible experience. You know, it can start to change the way you live, the joy that you have each and every day. Paul says, because my life is no longer my own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. 
So glorify God in your body. Because I am no longer my own, my life is no longer about proclaiming the gospel of Mark Bryant to protect the news about me. It's no longer to protect myself. Paul's life and his invitation to us is to make our life about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you align your life with the gospel of Christ and take him to be your Lord and Savior, you are no longer focused on just your own life. The gospel of your old life was it's all about me, my body, my life, my hopes, my dreams, my career plans, what I'm going to do on Memorial Day, whatever it is. But Paul is showing us that when you realize that Jesus Christ poured out his own body to meet a need that we could never dream of meeting for ourselves, that we are no longer about the gospel of our old life. We are freed of those chains. We are freed from the chains of being offended by the envy and jealousy of others. Paul says, all that matters now is that Jesus Christ is proclaimed. When that happens, I rejoice. It's easy to, you know, read this and speak it from up here. But imagine what it would be like if you lived your life that way. Again, you know, what message, what loyalty, what gospel does your life proclaim? The gospel of me, that it's all me, serve myself, or the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he, even though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he poured out his life for us. To take on the penalty of the death, that are, of death that our sin deserved on his own body and to die on the cross for us. And then to rise and invite us to join him in a lifetime of doing the same for others because he did it for us. That is what impressed the imperial guard. Paul living out the gospel, not in, no doubt sharing his story with them every chance he got. They saw a loyalty and a faithfulness that put theirs to shame. And they must have wondered why. Why does he do it? He doesn't get paid well. He's a prisoner while I'm free. But when I'm around Paul, why does it seem like he is the only true free person in the room? Because Paul no longer lives for himself. He lives for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On February 19th of this year, a group of militants drove into a girls' boarding school in Nigeria In 10 to 15 vans, they took 110 girls from the school. One month later, 104 of those girls were returned back to the same school. Parents rushed back to greet and to see their girls and to have them back in their arms. I can't imagine. However, one couple, Nathan and Rebecca Sherabu's daughter, Leah, who was 14 at the time, was not returned. And as they started to talk to the girls frantically to find out what had happened, where was she, the story came out. Leah being the only Christian in the group. The reason that she was not returned is that she refused to convert to Islam. Her mom fainted when she heard the news that Leah was still there. Her dad longs to have her home, but is proud that she stood for her faith. And now the whole world knows that Leah Sherabu is imprisoned for Christ. Is that what we want? No. 
We pray for her release. I invite you to pray for her release. She was 14 when she was taken captive. She's 15 now. But Leah can say along with Paul, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole news media, the whole world. World leaders know that I am imprisoned for Christ. What happened to you last week? What story does your life tell? What gospel message does your life proclaim? Where does your allegiance lie? And how does my life advance and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the challenge we have from today. As Paul says, all this that happened to me that looks terrible, it looks horrible, it looks like, God, how could you allow any of this to happen? I don't think Paul would have ever said, oh, I'm really excited about this happening. But as he looks back on all of it, he says, look how God has used it for others to hear and to know about Jesus Christ. Imagine if we lived our life that way this week. For those of you who thought, you know, I've loaned the gospel message, I've heard about it, I've been going to church for a long time, or maybe I'm new here and I've read the books and, I, and I'm over that, you know. Imagine if you saw this gospel lived out in this way. I mean, the guards must have looked at Paul and said, what in the world is he doing? I mean, they knew all about allegiance. They were paid to be, a, to be loyal. And yet they saw a loyalty in Paul that was unfathomable, unimaginable. And every chance Paul got, his eyes would light up and he would say, I would love to tell you why I'm doing this. It's because what Jesus did for me. And in this morning, if you have not experienced that, or maybe you've always just kind of glossed over that, and, and if you would like to see that in a brand new way and see even what Ashley has seen over years and years to culminate in her baptism of saying, you know what, I see that Jesus says this is important, I want to do that, it's because Ashley knows what Jesus has done for her, and she wanted to participate in that. And we invite you today to start or to see it, to explore it. And yet if you've been living your life, maybe, you know, the trap of, of what other people think about you or the envy, the jealousy of others, or maybe your jealousy on others, the gospel message, God, Jesus wants to free you from that. And if you're living your life grumbling and complaining about this happening to me and all this, God is saying, you know what, I put you in those opportunities so that you could shine the light of Jesus to some, in a way that nobody else could. You can speak the word of God boldly in that moment, maybe not necessarily by preaching a, a sermon you know, or, or, or saying a Bible verse, but in that moment, in the way that you live, pouring out your life for your husband, for your wife, for your son, for your daughter, for your coworker, for your friend, you have the opportunity to boldly speak the word of God. That is the message that Paul said, all of this, look at what God has done for me. That's the opportunity we have this week. We have a part, an opportunity to be a part of Jesus' imperial guard. Not because we're big and bad and bold, but because the gospel message has infiltrated our life. It's no longer about me. Therefore, I am free in every life circumstance to work towards the advancement, not of me, but of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he's in charge. This morning as we pray and as we sing, I want to invite you, 
If there's fear, if there's envy, if there's jealousy, whatever traps are holding you back, or if maybe you're just seeing something and you want to know more, I want to invite you to, to lay that down before Jesus. There's going to be people that would love to pray with you if there's some big obstacle in the way, or there's people that would love to share more with you about what Ashley was, has done up here today. And I invite you during this next song to come forward, to go back, to kneel, to, to get on your knees, to write whatever it has to do and say, Lord, what gospel or what message is my life proclaiming today? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful this morning for the privilege to hear about something that is astounding to us, Lord. Um, to see Paul's example, to go through all of that and yet to, to see it from your angle, to be able to see what you're accomplishing through it. Father, I pray that no person in here gets imprisoned or shipwrecked or bit by snakes or any of that stuff this week. And yet, we also know that you told us, Father, if they did it to you, they're going to do it to us. Life circumstances aren't always going to be rosy and great. But Lord, we pray that you would show us how what is happening to us can speak, can advance the gospel in a way that we could never imagine if we allow our hearts and our attitudes to be changed by your message and to live that out this week and to speak the word when you want us to and to, to care for and to serve others, Father. I pray that this message can grow and grow here in Anacortes and way beyond and that your gospel message will be proclaimed this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.